Nice job, Isaiah. Um, so that's been a treat for me to be here today. Isaiah's first time playing uh, here. I didn't realize that. Very nice. And then to be here this morning when uh, Tim and Yoli were commended to the grace of God, recognized by the assembly, is commended to the grace of God and by the people here. So that's a real treat for me, a day that uh, I will mark in memory. A special blessing. I'm going to look again tonight in the book of Proverbs, and I'm going to attempt to do a scan of a number of chapters. Actually, I'm going to attempt to do a scan of several chapters in the book of Proverbs, so for that reason, I'm only going to read selectively from these chapters beginning in chapter 5. Even if you've been with us Friday night, the Saturday morning study, and this morning, you will recognize that we haven't, uh, in a sense, done justice to these chapters of the book of Proverbs. We could spend any one day studying any of the chapters that we've covered thus far, uh, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, and chapter 4, but at least we'll get a little taste of the book of Proverbs and some of the practical side of this book that offers us wisdom the ability to see things as God sees them, and uh, the ability to live life skillfully. The ability to live life skillfully. So Proverbs chapter 5 and verse 1. My son, attend unto my wisdom, and bow thine ear to my understanding, that thou mayest regard discretion, and that thy lips may keep knowledge. For the lips of a strange woman drop as in honeycomb, and her mouth is smoother than oil, but her end is bitter as wormwood, as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps take hold on hell. Lest thou shouldst ponder the path of life, her ways are movable, that thou canst not know them. Hear me now, therefore, O ye children, and depart not from the words of my mouth, Remove thy way far from her, and come not nigh the door of her house, lest thou give thine honor unto others, and thy years unto the cruel. Lest strangers be filled with thy wealth, and thy labors be in the house of a stranger, and thou mourn at the last when thy flesh and thy body are consumed. And say, How have I hated instruction, and my heart despised reproof? And have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined mine ear to them that instructed me. Verse 20, And why wilt thou, my son, be ravished with a strange woman, and embrace the bosom of a stranger? For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he pondereth all his goings. His own iniquity shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holden with the cords of his sins. He shall die without instruction, and in the greatness of his folly he shall go astray. My son, if thou be surety for thy friend, if thou hast stricken thy hand with a stranger, thou art snared with the words of thy mouth, thou art taken with the words of thy mouth, do this now, my son, and deliver thyself when thou art come into the hand of thy friend. Go humble thyself and make sure thy friend. Verse 6, Go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways, and be wise. Verse 16, 
These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. My son, keep thy father's commandment, and forsake not the law of thy mother. Bind them continually upon thine heart. Tie them about thy neck. When thou goest, it shall lead thee. Thank you, bro. When thou goest, it shall lead thee. When thou sleepest, it shall keep thee. And when thou wakest, it shall talk with thee. For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is a light. And reproofs of instruction are the way of life, to keep thee from the evil woman, from the flattery of the tongue of a strange woman. Lust not after her beauty in thine heart, neither let her taketh thee with her eyelids, for by means of a whorish woman a man is brought to a piece of bread, and the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. Can a man take fire in his bosom, and his clothes not be burned? Can one go upon hot coals, and his feet not be burned? So he that goeth in to his neighbor's wife, whoso toucheth her shall not be innocent. Verse 32, Whoso committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding. He that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. Chapter 7, My son, keep my words and lay up my commandments with thee. Keep my commandments and live, and my law is the apple of thine eye. Bind them upon thy fingers. Write them upon the table of thine heart. Say unto wisdom, Thou art my sister. And call understanding thy kinswoman, that they may keep thee from the strange woman, which, which from the stranger which flattereth with her words. For at the window of my house I looked through my casement and beheld among the simple ones, I discerned among the youths a young man void of understanding. Passing through the street near her corner, he went the way to her house. In the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night. And behold, there met him a woman with the attire of an harlot and subtle of heart. Verse 21, with her much fair speech, she caused him to yield. With the flattering of her lips, she forced him. He goeth after her straightway as an ox goeth to the slaughter, or as a fool to the correction of the stocks, till a dart strike through his liver, as a bird hasteth to the snare, and knoweth not that it is for his life. Verse 25, let not thine heart decline to her ways. Go not astray in her paths. For she hath cast down many wounded, yea, many strong men have been slain by her. Her house is the way to hell, going down to the chambers of death. There are some, in some ways, this particular section, chapters 5 through 7, is not one of the most pleasant in Scripture, nor is it the easiest to deal with. I, I describe this section chapters 5 through 7, pitfalls on the path of life. Things on life's path that can stumble you and cause you to fall. Dangers that are to be avoided. 
And we want to look at this because as Solomon to his son, as a king to perhaps future prince, and as the Spirit of God speaking to our hearts, there are things that we need to be forewarned about and that the Bible does forewarn us about and goes into some detail. It won't be my uh, intention tonight to get very graphic in these things because I think the Word of God is clear and it paints the picture for us in a very vivid and real way. It's a little bit um, by way of contrast and not by any means an accident that what goes just before this and what comes just after it are two of the most beautiful pictures that are found in the Word of God. Remember, again, as we noted in the book of Proverbs, wisdom is personified and found in the feminine gender, something that is beautiful and attractive to be embraced and loved and held on to and that will do you good. And over against the picture of the beauty of wisdom and the benefits of wisdom and what wisdom will do for you, there is the allurement of that one that is found in this section of the Word of God called the strange woman. Chapter 5 will deal with adultery, it will deal with sexual sin, it will deal with the strange woman. Chapter 6 is very interesting. At first, when you come to chapter 6, it almost seems out of place. The first part of chapter 6 talks about being surety, going into debt for a friend. And then it talks in chapter 6, in verse 6, about laziness. And then down in verse 12 of chapter 6, wickedness and things that God hates. And at first glance, when you realize the context of the rest of these three chapters, it, it almost seems out of place, but I think we'll see as we move along in this section tonight how fitting it is and why it's placed where it is. When you come to chapter 6 and verse 20, once again you'll hear Solomon saying, My son, keep thy father's commandment, forsake not the law of thy mother. And he will appeal to him again about the subject of adultery and sexual sin and the strange woman. It's again part of the reason why many people wonder when it was that Solomon wrote this book of Proverbs. It is a bit difficult to imagine him writing it at the end of his life, although I did mention to someone who asked that there is a message that I have preached from this book called The Man Who Didn't Listen to His Own Advice. And the tragic end of Solomon, of whom the scripture says, he loved many strange women. Strange is not strange in the sense of weird. Strange in the Old Testament sense would, would have been a foreign woman. It is the same word that is used for strange gods. It is the same word that is used of strange fire, that which was not sanctioned by the Lord or approved for his people. It is one of the character studies that is very beneficial to do in the book of Proverbs, the study of the strange woman. And in contrast with her, 
the study of the virtuous woman, the noble woman, and what her characteristics are. Part of the contrast is seen, as I said, when we came to chapter 3, because we found there in chapter 3 and verse 13, uh, that although we didn't go into it in any detail, happy or blessed is the man that findeth wisdom. The merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver, than the gain thereof, than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies, and all the things thou canst desire are not to be compared unto her. Length of days is in her right hand, in her left hand riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her, and happy or blessed is every one that retaineth her. What a beautiful picture of what, what it is that wisdom has to offer. The nobility of wisdom. The, the excelling beauty of wisdom. The wealth that's found in there. Better than rubies and more precious than rubies. And her merchandise better than silver. And the gain of her better than fine gold. Pleasantness. A tree of life. We saw in chapter 4, it said in verse 6, Don't forsake her. Love her. It said in chapter 4 and verse 8, Prize her. Embrace her. It said in chapter 4 that she will exalt you. She will honor you. She will beautify you. She will crown your life. Wisdom would. In contrast to the strange woman. The foreign woman. The woman who was not, to say the least, a woman of God's liking. The seductress. The temptress. She, on the other hand, it says, her end in chapter 5 and verse 4 is bitter as wormwood and sharp as a two-edged sword. It says concerning her, she will rob you. She will take your honor from you. She will destroy you. Your flesh will be consumed. Your body consumed in chapter 5 and verse 11. She will lead you into bondage. Sins of this nature will bring you into bondage. Chapter 5 and verse 21. Or chapter 5 and verse 22. His own iniquity shall take the, the wicked himself, and he shall be holden with the cords of his sins. It's rampant today. People who begin to do things because of the initial pleasure that's found in it, only to find themselves in a bondage that they find virtually impossible to break. The reality of the Word of God. Be warned. Where that path leads... She will burn you, the Scripture says. Can a man take fire into his bosom and not be burned? Can you mess with this and not get hurt? Not what the Word of God says. It will burn you. One cannot go upon hot coals and his feet not be burned. And chapter 7 says, The end of her, her house is the way down to hell to the very chambers of death. The destruction that's found. The world paints a different picture. When it comes to sins of this nature in this category, 
The world glamorizes it. The world popularizes it. The world flaunts it. The world applauds it as a great thing. TV, movies, advertisements, enticing, seductive, sexual nature. They know how to put out the bait. Internet. You know, it used to be, we may not like it, but it used to be a time when Christians wouldn't be found going to certain places, wouldn't be seen going into certain places because of their testimony for the Lord Jesus. But now what happens in the secrecy of the home, the office, where nobody sees? Well, almost nobody sees. For chapter 5, and verse 21 says, The ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he pondereth all his goings. The Lord sees, and the Lord knows what's done in the secret place, and how many have been taken on this path. It is one of the sad facts of life. Not talking now about the world, by the way, in general, but those who name the name of Christ. How many have fallen in this area? It breaks our hearts to think of those who have taken the bait, who have gone down the path, and families, and marriages, and lives, and ministries have been destroyed and marred, many times irreparable damage has been done because of sins of this nature. It is a warning. Sexual sin, the book of Proverbs says in chapter 2, leads to death. In chapter 5, it leads to hell. You deliberately injure yourself in chapter 6. You're like an animal that's led to slaughter in chapter 7. It's like driving off a cliff, chapter 22 says, like going off a deep ditch, driving off a cliff. You can lose your honor, your family, your life, your marriage, your ministry, your testimony, your joy, your wealth. And if you're not a believer, you can lose your soul. The Word of God is honest, isn't it? You know... Um, we sometimes say things, and I know what we mean by them. I don't usually make a big deal out of them. We say things like, well, sin is sin. I know what we mean by that. What we mean by that is, doesn't matter what you've done or what I've done. Maybe I did stuff worse than you. Maybe you did stuff worse than me. God can forgive you. Doesn't matter how bad the stuff is. That's what we mean by that. It's not totally biblically accurate. God never viewed sin as sin and lumped it into one general category. How do we know? Because when you go back to the book of Leviticus that required sacrifices for certain sins, not all sin was the same. There were sins that required a certain sacrifice, other sins that required a more expensive sacrifice, and other sins that you had to add 20% on top of that. Not all sin in the Old Testament was viewed 
the same. And do you know that it's not in the New Testament? As a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says, Every sin that a man does is outside of his body, but this one's different. It's a different category. It has such a link to you emotionally, physically, spiritually even in a sense, that it's in a different category. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 is the passage where Paul will say, Flee fornication. He says, The body is not for fornication, but for the Lord. The Lord for the body. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ, make them the members of a harlot? God forbid. Do you not know that he which is joined to a harlot is one body? There's a union that takes place that is so powerful it is difficult to make the break. He that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sins against his own body. You not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God. You are not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And so, concerning the things whereof you wrote me, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband, and so on. The danger. Don't think that you're the exception either. Don't think that you can mess around in this area like somehow you're different than everybody else. That you can toy around with something that the Word of God says is a danger. And somehow you won't get burned by it. That's a deception. The Word of God forewarns us. And chapter 6 in that sense is not out of place. When you look at the categories of chapter 6, it's really more pitfalls on the path of life, so to speak. Uh, Don't be a surety for uh, your friend. I describe it as a bad choice made with good intentions. Your intentions were good, but it was a bad choice. Get out of it, he says. Humble yourself. And if you're lazy, humble yourself again. Go to the ant. (laughs) I'd like you to learn a lesson. Go watch an ant. You big, hulking, six-foot, whatever piece of flesh of a man... Go watch an ant. Well, that's pretty humbling, isn't it? I mean, you're so lazy, go watch that ant and watch it work. That'll teach you a lesson. Let that little ant be your teacher. (laughs) Humble yourself. You made a bad choice in the first part? Humble yourself. Wickedness, in verse 12, the naughty person, the wicked man, what does God hate? What's the first thing on the list? The proud look. Humble yourself. So over and over we see it in chapter 6. It's not out of place in that sense because these are pitfalls along the path. In other words, in chapter 6, verse 1, if you find yourself in this situation and your intentions may have even been good, but it's a bad situation, deliver yourself. Be forewarned, though. Don't do that. And if you find yourself in this position of the sluggard, go to the ant, but be forewarned, 
Don't do that. Don't be like that. And if you find yourself in this other category, guard yourself, be forewarned. Three times in chapter 6, he's warning you. He's putting it out there. He's telling you. What's the bottom line? Hate what God hates. Love what God loves. And that will be a big preserver for you. How do we do that? What's the standard? You think all of a sudden God woke up in the 21st century and said, Well, no, I used to hate these certain sins. And I call them an abomination, which means God hates them. Not just the ones in chapter 6, but other things in the Word of God. But you know now people have changed. Times have changed. Society's moved along. I don't hate it anymore. I got over it. <laughs> Character of God doesn't change. I have to catch myself. I know there's times we tell jokes about certain lifestyles and we watch programs about certain lifestyles and we make fun of certain lifestyles. There are certain lifestyles that God says He hates. They are an abomination to Him. That means He hates them. Hate what God hates. Love what God loves. Guard ourselves. How do we know who makes the rules? It's not us, is it? It's the Lord. Same Lord of Old Testament and new. God is not a prude. God sets the boundaries. You have a beautiful section in Proverbs chapter 5 that talks about what those boundaries are for physical relationships. Husband, wife, that's the boundaries. And God is not a prude. He has given us marriage. He has given us that union for the blessing and for the pleasure of it, even. You see, he sets the boundaries. A river has banks. If a river doesn't stay inside of those banks, it's called a flood. And that same river that can be a source of such blessing and life and productivity can be a tremendous source of destruction if it flows outside of its banks. And so with those vital life forces, in a sense, that God has given, that are legitimate to be used, but within the boundaries that the Lord has set. For the young man, the Scripture says, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, what it says in 1 Corinthians, and what it's telling us here, flee fornication. Stay away from it. Get away from it. And just a word to the young women. I want to be very careful here. I've used the illustration before. You've probably heard most of my illustrations before, unless you hadn't been here for a while. I don't come up with a whole lot of new stuff by way of illustrations. But um, I want to be very careful here because sometimes folks say, where do you draw the line? I'm not sure that I want to be the one drawing the line. But I do ask this question to the young ladies. Is the Lord Jesus the Lord of your wardrobe? Is He Lord of your closet? Now, again, I want to be very careful. 
I'm reminded of the story of a man at a particular um, theological seminary. One of the women there got hold one day, one of the wives, of the concept that they thought that, you know, the plainer they got, the more holy they were. And she influenced a whole bunch of the other wives who thought the less they did their hair and the less they wore and makeup and the, all the rest, somehow that equated to holiness. To which one of the professors at the seminary said, Ladies, if the barn needs painting, paint the barn. <laughs> it is possible for ladies to dress appropriately, attractively, without dressing seductively. And again, you see, why we have to be careful drawing the line with human fashion, men, mankind's fashions and the world's fashions, and this is the illustration, I think I've told it here before, but Brother Gooding talked about being in London, and some of you may know the illustration, but he said when he was in London coming up as a young boy, all the godly women wore black stockings. One day, he said, there came a woman into their meeting that had flesh-colored stockings. And it was scandalous because all the godly women wore black stockings. He said he didn't know how long it was, but time went by and he looked around one day and realized all the women were wearing flesh-colored stockings. That's what all the godly women were doing. And into their meeting came a young lady one day, newly saved, Scandal of scandal, she was wearing black stockings when all the godly women were wearing flesh-colored stockings. <laughs> and the whole thing had come full circle. So we have to be careful, don't we? But women have to be careful. You ladies, if you hadn't figured it all out already, um, us men are wired different. We're wired way different. Sometimes I know you wonder, are we wired at all? Like we got a shorted fuse or a wire or two that's missing. But we're wired different. And things that to you may not seem to be a big deal, listen, us men have problems. Uh, we got problems in areas that you may not even understand or be aware of. We, we want to do what's right. We need help. Help us. Um, I told the story yesterday, so this isn't a very old illustration, but about the young man, all of you weren't there, so I tell it again, of the young man who was walking across the campus with the old professor. And they saw the young woman, very attractive, come walking by, and the young man turned to the old man. He says, I'll be glad when I don't have a problem with things like that. And the old man looked at him and said, Me too. <laughs> So we're wired differently. And one of the things that's interesting about this section of the book of Proverbs is how many times you find with the strange woman the visual that is used as a means of seduction. The sensual. Chapter 6 and, uh, and verse 25 says, Lust not after her beauty, neither let her take thee with her eyelids. 
Chapter 7 and verse 10 says, Behold, there met him a woman with the attire of a harlot. The way that she was dressed, he knew she was a harlot. In chapter 7 and verse 17 speaks of that sensual again of her, the way she attracted. Now, let me just say and hasten to say that one of the things you find in the book of Proverbs See, it'd be easy here even for women to say, well, he's talking to you men now. You're the guys with the problem, not us. But the strange woman isn't just the woman presented in the book of Proverbs. It is a concept that goes beyond just a feminine individual. As I said, that strange word strange used of the foreign gods, the idols, the strange fire. I believe it portrays something else, sin in general, the seductiveness of sin in the world to all of us, the drawing power, the enticement of sin, the allurement of it, the sensuality of it. Love not the world, the scripture says, neither the things that are in the world. Don't go after that because it can draw you in like it did Solomon. Solomon ultimately violated in three areas of life which the Scripture had warned him against. Scripture in the book of Deuteronomy warned the king against multiplying horses, multiplying silver and gold, and multiplying wives. And he violated all three. But the real tragedy, as the Scripture says, God was angry with Solomon because he had appeared unto him twice. This was a man who had unique experience of God in his life and yet violated the Word of God in those three specific areas which God's Word told him not to do. And they destroyed him in the end. And so the warning. But we end with a beautiful picture that's found in Proverbs chapter 8 and chapter 9. And I won't go into it again in detail for sake of time, except to read a few of the verses here. And you may want to mark in your Bible, beginning in the first part of chapter 8, how many times you see the word cry or voice or call. You'll find it again at the end in verse 32, hearken, hear, hear me. It is wisdom that is once again calling out. And what she has to offer. And the company that she keeps. Verse 17, I love them that love me, and those that seek me early shall find me. Riches and honor are with me, durable riches and righteousness. It brings us again to full circle of chapter 1 in the book of Proverbs. Remember in chapter 1, verse 20, wisdom stood and cried out and appealed. Here's the way, walk you in it, this is what I have to offer. And when we come to chapter 8, it's no wonder that beginning in verse 22, many have seen Christ there. Because now not only is wisdom personified, but it really gets personal here. Verses such as chapter 8 and um, verse 31, Rejoicing in the habitable part of the earth, and my delights were with the sons of men. Wisdom now is a person. And whether you take that as a pre-incarnate prefigurement of the Son of God or not, you have to at least go this far to say that God's person 
is not separated from his attributes. And so when you see wisdom here so highly personified that it becomes a person who was with him in the beginning and so on, we remember wisdom is Christ. He is wisdom. This is what 1 Corinthians in chapter 1 and verse 30 tells us. What wisdom has to offer in chapter 8. And then when you come to chapter 9, wisdom puts forth her invitation. Listen to it. Chapter 9 and verse 1. Wisdom hath builded her house. She's hewn her out seven pillars. She's killed her beast, mingled her wine, furnished her table, sent forth her maidens, crying upon the highest places of the city. Come in verse 5. Eat of my bread. Drink of the wine which I have mingled. Forsake the foolish and live. It is the invitation of wisdom now seen as a feast, a banquet that spread. And the maidens go forth and she gets in the highest places of the city and she calls out, hey, come, look what I've got for you. It's all prepared. Now watch what happens. Verse 13. While verse 6 tells us, forsake the foolish... Verse 13 says, a foolish woman is clamorous. She sits at the door of her house on a seat in the high places of the city. She calls to the passengers who go on their way. She says to them in verse 17, stolen waters are sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Two invitations. Wisdom has her house. The foolish woman has her house. Wisdom sits in the highest places of the city. The foolish woman sits in the highest places of the city. Wisdom spreads her banquet, offers her bread, and the foolish woman offers her bread as well. Which one will you take? It's back to Proverbs chapter 1. The way of sin, in all of its allurement, in all of its enticement, in all of its appeal, in all of its glamour and glitz and everything it has to offer, or the beauty of wisdom, the beauty of God's Son, the beauty of the Christ of God. Because the way of the foolish woman and the way of sin, it's deceptive. While it looks like the same thing, There's one huge difference, isn't there? And it's found in verse 18. He knoweth not that the dead are there and that her guests are in the depths of hell. Huge difference. While they may look the same, one leads you into the path of blessing and the path of life and the path of all that God's has in His wisdom enabling you to live life skillfully, seeing things as God sees them. And the other? Down the path of destruction. And when you come to chapter 10, where the Proverbs more formally begin, the Proverbs of Solomon, a wise son maketh a glad father, but a foolish son is the heaviness of his mother. Now he's instructed his son. Now he has warned his son. Now he has shown his son the two paths. He has shown the pitfalls and the dangers that beset the one on the wrong path. He's shown the blessing and the benefits to the one who chooses 
the right path. He has drawn the careful distinction between who is a wise son and who is a foolish son. It's crunch time, son. Which one will you take? And then you remember, son, won't you, in chapter 10 and verse 7, that the memory of the just is blessed, but the name of the wicked shall rot. It's a reversal, isn't it? The world strives to have their name known. I mean, they want their name out there. The popularity. What is it even the politicians look for? Name recognition. One day, the name of the wicked will rot. But the name, the memory of the just is blessed. And your name may never be known on the rolls of this world or in the papers or in the press of this world. But if God knows you and you know Him, the memory of the just is blessed. Blessings, verse 6, are upon the head of the just. What an end we have before us. So may the Word of God speak to our hearts accordingly in these areas, showing us the dangers, warning us, forewarning us, showing us the benefits and the blessings of the infinite God who has unveiled His mind to us and inscribed it in a book for us that we can attain to that wisdom that He has for us, enabling us to live our lives skillfully as He would have us do. Father, we thank you again for your word. Again, we are amazed that you, the infinite God of the universe, the God who's created all that we see and all that exists, that you care about our lives, how we function in our families, how we raise our children, how we are in our marriage, what we do at our job. Lord, why would you care? But you care about us. You've given us your word. You've forewarned us. You've told us there are certain paths that even this book of Proverbs tells us that there is a way which seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. We thank you that one of the beauties found in this book of Proverbs is that the simple can no longer be simple. The appeal goes out to those who are found in those conditions here. They can change. Whoso confesseth his sin and forsakes them shall find mercy, the Proverbs say. So we thank you for the possibility of change. That if we find ourselves on the wrong path, we can get off that path, get onto the right path. But, oh God, help us not to go down that wrong path. And help these young people, preserve them, the young men and women. We thank you for them. Thank you for the families that are here. Thank you for those that are seeking to raise their children for God in the midst of the society and with life and work and everything, Lord, help them. Father, we think of those here who are looking for someone to spend their life with and they're waiting patiently because they want the person that you would have for them. They want to be careful in that. Help them, we pray. And preserve them. The young people who are not at that stage yet, 
help them to maintain the purity that you would have them maintain. You're a God who has a salvation that's current. The grace of God teaches us in the now, in the present, how to live righteously, godly, soberly in this world in which we live right now. So help, we pray. We thank you for the sanctifying power of the Spirit of God and the ministry of the Word of God that sanctifies our lives. Help us, we pray. We thank you for the Lord Jesus, one who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, a great high priest touched with the feeling of our infirmities. And we can come to him in time of need and find that help that we need, like those not only of old days, but those in current life as well. A great high priest who's able to come to our aid help us and strengthen us to be able to stand. We give you thanks again in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.